Curiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of our conversation with Sarah Mimi. Sarah is a behavioral scientist. She's currently teaching at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. She's an assistant professor of marketing at the College of Business. Sarah's main area of research is how people pursue goals, how they handle conflict between multiple goals, and how they manage their personal resources, such as time and money. She also teaches in the University of Louisville's very unique equine business program. Based on that, there are so many rabbit holes that we wanted to go down relating to Sarah's professional work. But before we got there, what I wanted to do was to start with Sarah's background as a horse person. I met Sarah 20 years ago when she was feeling in over her head with her young Tricaner Thoroughbred homebred. So we began there. We began with the story behind Sarah becoming interested in clicker training. Sarah's situation at that time was one many people who listen to this podcast share. She kept her horses at home. She didn't have a horse trailer, so she couldn't get to a trainer who could help her with her young and very exuberant and very big horse. So she had to figure out clicker training on her own. I wanted Sarah to talk to us about that part of her horse journey. And then I wanted her to continue on after she lost polio. So polio became just a super, super riding partner. But sadly, she lost him when he was just 11 years old. So this opened another chapter in her life. Sarah didn't want to lose her connection to riding into the horse world, but she also wasn't in a position to get another horse. So she's been exploring, how do you stay connected to horses? How do you stay involved in the lives of horses? And how do you continue to develop as a rider? Over the years, Sarah has not only had an abundance of horses to ride, but their owners have even invited her to clicker train them. I know so many people who get the door slammed in their faces when they try to talk about clicker training. And here's Sarah, who's been invited to clicker train the horses she's riding. She's been a wonderfully successful ambassador for the work. So it's an important question that we're exploring. How has she managed to fit in to all the very different barns that she's been part of over the years? And then how does she introduce clicker training to the owners of the horses that she's riding? That's the question that I'm asking as we pick up again in the next part of our conversation. So Sarah, when you're becoming known within a barn and you're starting to do more than just 
uh, pet the nice horsey, how do you begin to, how do you open that conversation about clicker training? So my, my, my first principle for, you know, being a clicker trainer in the mainstream horse world is, you know, looking for the commonalities. And so I, I look, I think I just decided that, you know, if I wasn't going to be off on my own with my own horse in my backyard, I could either give up riding or I could choose to say, well, there's tremendous knowledge in the horse world and tremendous yes. expertise and so much I can learn. And I, I don't want to walk away from that, you know? And so I, I look for the commonality. So I look for a place that has something that is a value to me. And so that's where I start. I don't start and walk in and say like, I do this crazy thing that's so different. You never heard of. And like, can I do that here? Mm -hmm. I say, you know, I look for a place where there's, there's someone who has something really valuable to me. And I say, may I please learn from you? <laughs> and that's where I start. Um, now, if you're, if there's nothing, you know, that, that either in the barn as a boarding barn, but I mean, I start from the place of, you know, appreciation and looking for what, what is a value. Um, yes. And so that's, so yes, I don't sort of come in hot. Like, <laughs> uh, and so I think you start the connection, you know, you connect with people valuing what they know, what their expertise is connecting with them over what you share in your interests and in your, you know, riding. And that's a good place to start. Um, yes. And so that, that's sort of the, the mindset that I, uh, I take to that. And then, yeah, you, you, if you're riding somewhere where you're taking lessons or you're at a boarding barn, you know, you have to sort of have a friend you know, <laughs> who can introduce you or, you, you know, you, you sort of have to have some connections, but then you'll love, you'll get a sense pretty quickly about whether this is a place or a person or a horse who, you know, might maybe be interested in letting you do something a little different um, or, or be okay with that. But I think, I, you know, there's, again, this is the marketing professor yes. talking, but there's a concept that I think applies here from, from you know, the practitioner side of marketing, which is, you know, there's a thing called the sales funnel. And, and it's the idea that, you know, if you're buying, if you ultimately buy something or purchase something, that's like toward the end of that funnel. And the top is you have to be aware of something and then you have to be interested in it and you have to kind of consider it. And then maybe you have an intention to purchase something or do something. A lot of people get stuck there. They have intention, but then they never go to action. And, you know, and then, you know, so there's this whole kind of funnel. And so it's like, I don't start with, you know, let me change you or do something different. But I start with, what are you doing here that I, I like, that I want to learn from, that I appreciate and form a relationship around that. And, you know, people have to kind of know, like, and trust you within their own framework. That's the place. Uh, you know, again, I don't, I, I don't want to sound like this was like so calculated and I was, but it's sort of looking back on this. It's like, well, how have I formed these connections? And and I think mostly it's starting with, you know, from that place. And it might just be someone you got introduced to who is at the barn and said some friend of a friend and they have a horse who's just, you know, they're going on vacation and they're going to be gone for two weeks and would love for somebody to come and, you know, keep an eye on their horse and, take them out to ride a little bit. And it's, let's say this is a safe horse, you know, this isn't sort of a, a serious training project and you're, you feel comfortable with that. And so you just say, that would be lovely. What, you know, tell me about your horse. You, what would that horse need to do? What's he like? You know, you get some, and then maybe if you like this horse or you see something that you think you might 
use with clicker training that could be helpful, then you you know so so you it's sort of not just how you say it, but it's when and based mm, on yes. what. Um, and if somebody already knows who you are, they already see you as a trustworthy person or you know a kind horse person, you know you, you, a competent, just you know yes the ba- the base it's very basic but. Yeah. And you actually can lead a horse from point A to point B right. without uh, tripping over your own two feet or wrapping a lead rope around your, your hand and making right. everybody nervous. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, which, again, if you're in a position of learning about this and, you know, maybe you're, you know, beginner and you're earlier on and you're not as far along in your horsemanship, that might be a little more difficult. But if that's the place you're at, you're probably also not just sort of itinerantly working with other people's right, horses right. Uh, or maybe you shouldn't be so um you should be getting you know other experience so so i kind of look i started from that place of looking for the commonalities my second principle was that you know your training or it's your training and your goals or or my training and my goals so what i mean by that is that you know my goals for my own training and my own riding are mine if others are interested in those goals, they find it valuable to them. I'm always willing to share, but I am not there to impose it on others. Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm not there to say, I want you to change, or I want you to change differently, or change your training program, or do something different with this horse, or I, that's really not what I'm, what I'm after at all. Yeah. Um, it's, I want to do something that's a value to me. And, and I sort of, again, look at it like, well, am I getting to learn? Am I getting to, to develop as a rider, as a horse person? Am I enjoying myself? Do I think that the horses I'm interacting with are, you know, a little bit better off that, you know, I'm at least helping them a little versus hurting them <laughs> or, you know, is, is this, and, and then if the answer to that's yes, like that's okay. Um, it's not the same as having a horse who I bred and raised and trained and did all of his training myself and all of his foundation. And he had, to use your words, the umbrella of quicker training. Yes. Everything. He had the whole language and the whole repertoire. And and that's absolutely an, such an incredible thing. And I would love to experience that again. Um, but that's not necessarily replicable. And that doesn't, or, or without, you know, having that kind of longer term right, right. relationship, but that doesn't mean that I should just, you know, go home and just watch Netflix instead of riding. I don't know, or instead of being around horses. So, um, but so you've been you able to mix the two, to, to right. have horses right. with their owner who have a maybe different way of teaching. Right. And it's been harmonious still between you, the horse, and the owner. I th- yeah, I think so. I mean, I've never had, and again, I think if people, I'm sure I've been in barns and I'm sure there've been people who've seen me teaching a horse to target or play a keyboard or do something and just thought, wow, she's crazy. And that's <laughs> fine. That's okay. But, you know, maybe they said horrible things about me behind my back. And, uh, fair enough. It's <laughs> all right. Or maybe they were intrigued. <laughs> And so we're intrigued. Yeah. And so I think, um, and I think, you know, in looking for the commonalities, another piece of that is like um, looking for 
people, even if they're within a, a more conventional framework, who still like the fundamentals of clicker training, you know, are they trying, is it constructional training? Yes. Right. So you always talk yes. about this. Is it incremental constructional training? Uh, are the things that they're trying to teach horses in the horse's best interest? You know, the, there are many, many wonderful people out there who mm. do train methodically and with a constructional approach. And, um, and so I feel like that's something I can, I always feel like that's something I can yeah. learn from. Because when you look um, at the core principles of, mm -hmm. that are sort of the guiding principles right. of clicker training, you look at them, they are not by any means unique and right. of the sole province of clicker training. You know, no. when behavior deteriorates, go back to a previous step in the training. Well, yes. that's that should be universal. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, these uh, safety always comes first. That's you know a key one. These are these are universals. These right. are not unique to clicker training. Right, and that's sort of my sixth my sixth principle, which was ride like a clicker trainer. So even when you're not clicker training, you exactly that. You know that it's a flexible system. You can always be yes. thinking that way. You can always be thinking through that lens of the ABC of behavior analysis. You know, if there's a, what's the antecedent? What's the behavior? What's the consequence? You can bring that understanding to, you know, to any interaction that you're yes. having with a horse or an animal. Um, and you can, you know, and then you can, I think, again, if you're, if you found that fertile ground, hopefully, and you have a relationship, you can sort of start, you can bring some suggestions in, I think, you know, so you might, Sort of suggest a, a, it, sometimes it's just sort of like oh I think this is a good stopping point like this is enough and you can suggest that you know if you have any you know if you're working with a instructor who respects you and their horses you know they, they yes. should you you know you, you can do that um I have a you know a little story I can tell is uh last spring yeah this spring um at the farm where I, I ride most consistently at, at Laura Burke Pets Farm. Uh, one of her mentors is uh, JJ Tate, who's a well-known trainer and competitor. And she was there teaching a clinic and I rode in the clinic and had a really interesting sort of, you know, one of those like very technical mind bending, you know, lessons about balance and, you know, all the little pieces of stuff. And yes. it was really, really cool. And I had, I rode in two rides and in the first ride, and she had set it up. One thing I love about her teaching is she does a lot of pattern exercises like somebody uh -huh. else I know and have learned <laughs> from. And so there was a patterned exercise of quarter turns and we were working on balance and turning. And I came to ride the next day and I said, uh, would you mind if I put out some cones? <laughs> because, like somebody else. <laughs> and, you know, because I realized, oh, well, be. in this exercise, can't imagine where I got that idea from, no. but I thought, well, this would be a great exercise to put the cones in because it would make it so much clearer to me and it would keep me on track and keep me from, you know, wandering off and not realizing it. And of course I have my own cones in my car at all times. Okay. And, you know, JJ didn't say, she didn't say, well, you're a weird. She was like, oh, of course, this is wonderful. I love using cones in my teaching. I do it at home all the time. I don't know why I didn't put them in my bag, you know? And so... <laughs> Yeah, I think again, you have to you know, use your judgment and, you know, but you can bring some of your own understanding and tools and sort of ask for another piece of something or bring some right. of that into a, a session. So 
Um, you could ask to be, I actually haven't done this, but I probably could or should ask to be tagged. If there's like a position thing that you're sort of stuck on and you just can't find where you're trying to be or feel the, the change in the horse that an instructor is trying to help you find, hand them a clicker and say, can you click when it's right? You know, ask, you could ask to be tagged. Uh, yeah. And I, somebody might be fine with that. So, um, so that was another a, a piece, yeah. But keeping that mindset of, of clicker training in, you know, the, the way of thinking about training and particularly that constructive shaping incremental approach in, in everything you're doing. And I would think too, sort of recognizing when you're in a lesson and the instructor is repeating <laughs> and the voice is rising and you're, you're thinking, ah, there must be a piece missing that I'm not getting. Right. Of being right. able to say, to, to have that sort of, to take that responsibility for yourself. Yes, say, absolutely. There's a piece missing here. Could you help me with I'd either identify it or could we pause and can we work this out at the walk or you know something that says right. I'm recognizing that we're biting off more than I personally can chew at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I've done that before. Yeah, or you're having a ride, and you know, and if there's a, you know, if you're experienced and you have this quicker mindset, there might be times, there are going to be times when you're up there or doing something, and you're like, eh, this doesn't feel like what I want. You know, it's not going to always yeah. be great. And you might go, but yes, exactly. You could go, you know, sort of pause and say, like, okay, I'm sort of like, we're doing shoulder in, but this, we're like muscling it through. And, you know, yeah, pause and go, okay. I know this is wrong. Can you help me find like, how else could we set yes. this up or how else? And good instructors love nothing more than that. That's so reinforcing. You're giving them permission to be detailed and make yes. you successful. Yes. And that's, and they love that. Yes. I mean, not every student that you teach wants to dig deeper or, or it's sort of willing to say, please let's dig, you know, so, so again, if you, if you found fertile ground, that should, that should work well. People yes. should help you with that. Um, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, another piece I was thinking of is um, celebrating approximations to steal Susan Friedman's or to borrow Susan's yes. uh, phrasing. Um, and I kind of think about this in two ways. I think about it, um, you know, a little bit of good clicker training really can go a long way uh, with with a horse. Uh, so it can just, uh, you know, you can just have such a delightful relationship with a horse, even without the whole umbrella yes. um, of all the the foundation work. Um, you know, the horses that I've worked with, and particularly the ones where I've had the um, opportunity to have a little more of a longer term, you know, relationship with. And I, I think about um, Susan Montani, who's a friend of mine from uh, North Carolina. And she just, you know, shared her horse, she, she and her daughter, Maya, they completely shared their horses with me and just let me do whatever I wanted with them. And they had a lovely older paint mare named Gypsy, who is now passed on, but just one of those not not an athletically talented horse, but just such a lovely mare. Um, we all loved her, and, and I did. I, it was before I had my son. I did all kinds of clicker training with her, and I had a really great 
and I rode her too. And we just sort of, you know, and she didn't really need to learn anything. You know, she was older, well-schooled, well-trained, you know, but, um, I, you know, we did a lot of foundation lessons and then I did just all kinds of work with her and had a great, great relationship with her. Um, and it is still sort of, you know, dear to my heart. Yes. Um, and many of these other horses. So, so I, I really found that you, you can do, you know, a little, they, they like, Oh, you know, the, even if you've only done a few behaviors and simple things, they just perk right up when they see you. And, um, and the other people around seem to recognize that as well. Uh-huh. So I get comments like, Oh, they love, he loves you so much. This is so yes. great. He really loves you. Training yeah. can be enrichment. Yeah. And you I, know, yeah. Ken Ramirez yeah. says that all the time that, you know, it's part of necessary enrichment, the training when yeah. it's done this way. So absolutely. Even and if it's a well-schooled horse, doing this kind of training can be enrichment for them in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to the earlier conversation about, you know, what do you teach them? You know, what do you um a little bit i take the approach of you know if it ain't broke don't fix it um so you know if something is just perfectly fine in that horse's life or training you know don't necessarily you don't have to rearrange all the furniture Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know especially not at the beginning um but you know who doesn't love it if their horse self-bridles or yes who doesn't love it or, or pose, yeah, or picks their feet up better. Picks their feet up, or who doesn't love it? Uh, if their horse, you know, doesn't, uh, you can, you know, teach the leave it on grass for hand grazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one's ever not going to be happy to see their horse learn that, or Lining you know, I up next to a mounting, a mounting block. block. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many behaviors that are so universally useful, universally appreciated, um, are quite safe to yeah. teach in the sense that they're not likely to lead to frustration or offered behaviors. I, I, you know, as a general rule, I very spark, like if there's a horse who knows to be on the cross ties and they're just fine with being on the cross ties and there's no problem there. I do, very, you know, I am very, I don't get in there and start like, well, let's clicker train this and this right, on the right, cross ties right. because it's like, no, we, we don't need to do that. But uh, one horse I uh, see on a pretty regular basis now he was sometimes tense and worried on the cross ties. And so I taught him to yawn when he was being groomed and it's great. And it's, he loves it and I love it. And everyone in the barn seems to think it's It's cute. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, you know, there is a lot you can, can do. Um, and again, just, it's so amazing to me how much they really do learn and connect with. So another story I'll share was, um, uh, another, all these horses I have known <laughs> since I didn't have my own horse. Uh, my friend, uh, back when I was still living in Vermont, uh, Peg French, she had this really fun little quarter horse named Pep. And he had been at the barn with Palio when I was a boarder there. So I'd been around him for a long time and I had um, ridden him sometimes and had done some clicker training with him. And um, But I had not seen him after Palio passed away. I hadn't been back in that barn for a full year. And then I came back to visit Peg one day and we were standing in uh, at the doorway in Pep's stall. So he was just in the stall with a pile of hay and we were standing in the doorway of the stall, just chatting and catching up. I haven't been in this barn in a year. I only ever did a little bit here and there with this horse. And I look up and we're like, what are you doing, Pep? And he's packing up 
he's like leaving the hay pile and he's just backing up in the skull. <laughs> Why is he doing, what are you doing, Pat? This is so strange. And then, and he like, and then he's like, you know, he gets to the back and he kind of in that like, like clever little quarter horse way, like shakes his head and he comes up to the front and he just like looks at me. And then he goes, <clears throat> and just like back, 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 back into the back corner <laughs> and stops and looks at me and leaving a hay pile in this horse's world. Like, this is a big thing. This is a, yes, this is yes. a food horse. And I'm like, and then I went, oh, I taught you that. Yeah. I had completely forgotten. I had taught, you know, I had shaped backing away yeah, when yeah. I stood in the stall door. I had shaped backing away. I had taught, you know, I had taught this horse that maybe a total combined 30 minutes over a couple of evening sessions, you know, messing around in the barn over evenings. It was not, you know, I hadn't yeah. even been in the barn in a year. And he was like, ah, yes. Hey lady, I can show. So yeah, I don't know. That just always sort of, I always sort of almost get shivers remembering that and thinking about that. And so I think there's just, just don't underestimate how much they can learn and you can yeah. do with them. How much they can learn, how much they remember. Remember. And how enriched, because what he's telling you right. is how enriching he found that interaction right yeah yeah so so that you know so for the horses part a little goes a long way and then i think for the people you know again we're sort of celebrating approximations like similar to the attitude with barn owners we're, we're all doing our best right <laughs> we're all doing what we know how to do what we know best to do and one thing i have really learned is that Trying to teach others to use clicker training or really get them doing it themselves is one thing, and that's a, can be a pretty big hurdle. Uh, but getting permission to use it with their horses is surprisingly easy, <laughs> huh. uh, which I think I never would have realized if I didn't hadn't you know been this like have treats will travel sort of horse. <laughs> yes. Yes. Clicker trainer. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, if if you know, people have seen you as a competent person, as a trustworthy person, but you know, they'll, they'll go, yeah, do whatever you want with them. That's great. You know, they see you teach something simple and positive, and you know, and, and like. And I think where I've come to realize is like, there are a lot of people out there who find this work interesting and valuable, and for many reasons are not necessarily able or willing to sort of take the plunge and do it all themselves. Um, and I have, again, I just choose to have empathy for that. Um, in part, because if, if I were to have discovered clicker training now, right, at this moment in my life, yes. would I have really done it? Um, it would have definitely grabbed my attention. I would have found it fascinating. I would have been very interested in it. Would I have actually done it? Maybe not. And not because I wouldn't have found it valuable and interesting, but because I am in a moment where I have, you know, I have a challenging job. I have a young child. Yeah. I have a household. Uh, I have limited time with horses. I, I'm, I'm not really in the market for a, a new PhD. Right? 
so to speak. Right. And so I just, I kind of uh, recognized that, that it, it's okay. If, if somebody see, is willing to share their horse with me, like that's wonderful. And I love that and I appreciate it and I celebrate it. And better, better to, if you're not going to really dig into it, better to maybe ask someone who has a right. lot of knowledge than mess it up, you know, because you're not really willing to invest the time to learn how to do it well. So in a way, you know, it may be yeah. the right thing to do. It's why people hire trainers in the first place. Exactly. Yes. In horses, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I think if you go in with the attitude of, I am going to convert the world, nobody yeah. wants to talk to you. It's like, no, no way. Yeah, exactly. No way. But, <laughs> If you go in with that feeling of appreciation and shared values and yes. recognizing the frame that someone else is in and not feeling as though it's all or nothing, I have to convert no. you to trigger training or... You know. And I also don't have time to convert you either. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But and, I know I yeah. know a lot of people who share exactly my values, but they, they don't want to spend the time I spend studying clicker training. Right. And so I've referred those people to clicker trainers that I know and trust. And it's working out, you know, because they don't have very complicated behavior problems. You know, they right. had a puppy and they wanted to do the right thing. They had the right value, but they're not really, you know, we... We share this kind of geeky yeah. um, predisposition that we want to learn, we want to understand, we want to have all the principles and understand what's under the hood and all that, but not mm -hmm. all people do. Right. And so they're very happy to, you know, and, and these people, they just want the recipe. They, yeah. they don't want to know about the principles, you know, just tell me what to do with my dog so she doesn't bite. Right. Um, you know, when we play yeah. or it, there's a lot, most people are actually maybe in the horse world less because the right. horse is so big and it's harder to get away with that. But yeah. certainly in the dog world, I don't know a lot of dog owners who just want a pleasant dog to be around. And so, and they absolutely share my values. <laughs> you do. Yeah. And there, there are, you know, there are so many people who have come to clicker training because the horse dragged them kicking and screaming. Yes. You either take the plunge and really figure it out and, right. and spend the time to learn good technique and understand right. the principles because this horse is just really complex and you are based on your, your background, you are overhorsed as it were. And there right. are lots of, or overdogged, <laughs> you know, there are yeah. there, they, these complex, complex individuals have brought so many, so many people to clicker training. Mm -hmm. But the bell-shaped curve, you know, most individuals sit in the middle where you can, you don't have to get the PhD in order to get along with the horse or the dog and that you can do really well just having a little bit of guidance or some of the basics, but you yeah. don't necessarily have to go get a PhD in behavioral um, studies in order to cope with the horse you have. Right, right. If you look at the 
the people that I've known and that I've seen, you know, again, anecdotally, maybe you even have some more sort of data to this, but most of the people who come, at least previously, maybe it's shifting now because clicker training is more available and accessible online and there are more people out there doing it. But most of us came because we had a big, huge problem on our hands, yeah. right? And, and, and so you also, when you're in that situation, you have nothing to lose. That's you know, right. There was, I, had, I was not giving up anything by doing clicker training. There was no cost to that because I was in a mess and I just, you know, so, and I loved, and I, it spoke to me and that was great. But like, if I had had a horse who was happy and fine, and I didn't really have a big problem and I was doing things that I enjoyed and, you know, it's a different circumstance. So I cut again. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. If, if, our, if Sindri, our, our Icelandic stallion had been my only horse, I would never have learned anything complex about training because he was just right. such an agreeable, easygoing, pleasant right. horse that you could get on and just go out and have fun. Right. And I'm so, I, I love Dominique that you brought up, you know, dog owners, because the other reason I have to remind myself to be empathetic toward people who do not want to get PhDs and behavior and be nerds like I am about behavior and all this detail is that I'm also a dog owner. I've had dogs basically all my life. I'm, I am a clicker trainer as a dog owner, but I am a totally different dog owner than I am horse owner. Like I always joke that I'm just a terrible dog trainer <laughs> and I have no excuse because, and I say terrible, but you know, I know a lot about training dogs. I've been to clicker expo. I've been to dog clinics. Like I, I have knowledge about training dogs. I have knowledge about clicker training. I have experience with dogs and I do use it with my dog. I have a puppy now, puppy raising, but like what I sort of, I guess, need out of my relationships with my dogs is always different. It's like, I'm happy just having a dog who's just a happy pet dog, um, you know, who is well house trained and who can walk on a leash comfortably and who can ride in the car. And I don't, I'm not compelled to, and I do a little more than that in socializing, you know, and all the sort of basics, but like, you know, I'm not like compelled to teach my dog to do lots of sophisticated and interesting right. things. I'm just right. sort of, and sometimes I'm like, wow, I really should be, but I just sort of, I know it's like, you're happy, you're healthy, you're getting along in the household. Maybe you also bark too much when nobody comes to the door, but yeah. I sort of don't care, really. Mm. Um, I, I, and I know better. And so it's like, yeah. yeah That's I, how I feel about the goats that, the, oh, yeah. you know, yes, there's, there's some, you know, fun, interesting training that I've done with them. But what I really wanted to be able to do with them is to go for walks. Mm. Right. And, and so their training has reached a point where I can take the five goats out and we can go for a walk and have a lovely time together. And mm, that was right. that. So the training has achieved an experience. So because of the training that's in them, I can have this experience. Mm, right. And right. there wasn't a complex goat that said, well, <laughs> you know, unless you go get a PhD in uh, goat. goat behavior, we cannot right. go for walks. Thank goodness. Right. But horses, because we want to ride them, right. introduce a level of complexity that... And they're big. They're, and they're oh, big. They're big. Yeah, and we they're want big. to ride them. And, and if we're going to ride them, we want to keep them sound. 
Right. So all of those things make it a much more complex mm. training relationship than right. if we just wanted our a nice horse to go out and and pet in the evening and the rest of the time he's living out in the field. It's very different kind of relationship. Right. I don't think there's an animal that we ask such complexity from more no. than the horses. I mean, what we ask of the horses, you know, who else is doing ballet? We ask, we ask a herd animal to leave its, the security of its herd and carry a rider on its back safely through terrain in which there are potential predators and to stay at the pace that we, we request without spooking and without the bolting back for home at the uh, first time there's some crinkling leaves in the background. I mean, we ask extraordinary things. And then we ask them for piaffe. Yes. You know, who else yeah. is doing piaffe and shoulder in and all, you know, Spanish walk. And I mean, yeah. no other animal is doing and, that level we, of sophistication or jumping you know, yeah. uh, six I'm, feet high. I'm sure some of the yeah. people who have who, who uh, have dogs that with which they compete would be going, oh, wait, 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 wait. But um, my, you know, my dog is doing all this complex behavior and they yeah, absolutely but are. But dressage is pretty sophisticated. It is very know. sophisticated. And, right. and some of those jumping horses, they're doing things that, I don't yeah. know that we ask that much from the dogs. And, and they're doing it. You know, when again, you're not sitting just, on the dog, you're not too. sitting the on dog the dog. The dog isn't managing your body. Yeah. You're using yeah. your body to communicate with the dog, of course. And but. and just the, this, you know, at its, whatever, whether we're jumping, whether we are asking for this horse to be a dressage horse, whatever. You know, and are, even raining and all these yep, things. I mean, they're is, pretty. This, at its core, this, again, this is a social animal that we are removing from the security of its herd and its friends and saying this, you know, I want you to walk right. track canter and right. move your feet in certain ways. And I want you to get on a trailer, get in a little metal box, travel down the road to a location that you do not know and repeat the performance. In front of 2000 people with music right. Right. <laughs> or, and applause. Yeah. or. <laughs> or in front of nobody because it's a local show and nobody's watching, but I'm more nervous than anything. Um, so I'm different. You know, we ask a lot of our of our horses. I mean, there are no other animals in the Olympics right now that I know of, True. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's no. what we're asking of them is pretty right. amazing. Yes, they are right. extraordinary animals. And we ask them to live in all kinds of different conditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what, I really applaud, Sarah, is that you have been able to navigate that minefield of personalities that exist around horses mm -hmm. you know, in terms of... Uh, no one ever accused us of being boring. No, no. Horse people. <laughs> no, we are not. And uh, so to, yeah. to be able to find your way into the barns and to be welcomed into these barns is huge. And part of why I wanted to have this conversation, this particular conversation right. 
was to put the message out there to say, it's doable, it's possible. Uh, because I hear so many times the, the lament of, well, I'm a clicker trainer and I have to hide. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, that just breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yes, and I think like, I don't know, you know, sort of my, my what's the, what do I, what would I love to see? I, I want, I, not only do I not want someone to feel like they have to hide, you know, on the, on the aversive avoidance, you know, uh, sort yes. of side of the spectrum. I don't want that, but we, I want us to be out there and visible because that's how this becomes just normal and yes. just part of, part of the, how people think about horses. And, and I'm, and I'm, you know, that if we're hiding, then I don't, I don't want this to be something that's, even if it's lovely, it's, I, I, for me personally, I don't want it to be a walled garden, even if it's a lovely garden. Right. And we don't want to, we don't want to think that, that this is something that should be hidden. No, no, of course not. No. And, and we can bring it out in plain sight without shoving it down somebody else's throat. And we can bring it out in a way in which we are uh, being a good guest, which I think is right. a primary. You know, in, uh, in the podcast we just did before this podcast, the series we did with Susan, I think it was very interesting when she said, you know, I knew all these principles. And when I got my first parrot, I... It was like I, I didn't use all these principles. I let myself be influenced by all these lay experts. And then, you know, eventually what she got out of all that was that she should always, always use the principles she knows with every animal, in every situation, with every airline counterperson, every, you know, cashier or whatever. And so we need to learn to apply the principles to other people. We know the principles, but right. it's hard with other people. Sometimes. Celebrate approximations. Yeah. In people. In, in people, exactly. Because we're, I mean, we're pretty good or, you know, we're getting better and better with animals. But I think some of us anyway, some, some of us are real, like, I, I think, Sarah, you're very good, obviously, at applying those principles to people. I think Susan Friedman is someone who's very good at applying those principles to people. But some of us still have to learn <laughs> in every situation to use what we know better. And I, I'm talking to two people who have marketing as their field, but I would say, isn't that what good marketing is about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's the exchange of value. Mm. That's another topic. Maybe that's a <laughs> teaser. But uh, marketing is the exchange of value between two entities. Yeah, that's right. But sometimes it feels like it's just people increasing the volume, you know, and it's that, not exactly good marketing when you see the bigger, bigger ad and the you know, more, more, more anyway, but that's another topic. That's another but, one, but you know, yeah. before we, before we leave though today, I want to make sure yeah. we do come back 
to <laughs> those competing goals and motivations when you have limited wow. resources, you know, whether it's time, money, how do you handle that? Remember what we oh. talked about at the very beginning of the, this, yeah. this discussion. And I think it's so relevant for horse people because, you know, there's always limited time and money and, you know, your situation, Sarah, is a very good example of, you know, you could have said, I have no time to dedicate to staying connected to the horse world. I have my, my children, I have my studies, I have my job. So how, what do you suggest? How do you do that? That's your other big expertise, you know, competing goals. We've come to a good stopping place. I love where this conversation has taken us so far. Sarah is so right. We don't want clicker training to feel like something you need to hide. We want to not only bring it out, but be proud of the training that we're doing, to, to be delighted to share our horses. It bears what repeating what Sarah said. She said she wants this to be out there and visible because that's how it becomes just normal. It becomes part of how people think about horses. She doesn't want it to be a walled garden, something that's hidden away, even if it's a lovely garden. It should be out in plain sight where people can see it, get curious about it, and can begin to explore it with their own horses. Clicker training absolutely isn't something that should be hidden. We can bring it out in plain sight, and we can bring it out in a way that we are, as the title of this episode suggests, that we're being a good guest. We just need to remember our core values and we need to remember to celebrate the approximations with people as well as with horses. What I love about this conversation with Sarah is she reminds us that it can be done because she's done it. After we recorded this podcast, Sarah sent me a follow-up email. She wrote, I realize in retrospect that I spoke only to our experience at the barn where Palio spent the majority of his life, that is the last seven years, and where we found a happy home. However, that's not the whole story, and I didn't intend to present a sugar-coated version or to make listeners who are struggling in their situations feel discouraged. Prior to that barn, Palio had to leave the first two boarding stables I brought him to as a three-year-old. Neither was a conflict over clicker training, at least not that I was aware of, or an acrimonious battle. I agreed with the barn owners that it wasn't a good fit. Those barns were just not safe, appropriate places for him to stay on. At that time, he was a young, big, energetic, thoroughbred, warm blood cross who bullied other horses in the field. He couldn't safely fit into the turnout herd situations, and he was also just a type of horse that some of the other boarders and barn staff were not up to handling. Example, child boarders who had to retrieve their horses from the same field occupied by Palio, the fire-breathing dragon, a breed-focused barn where the people were used to handling small, relatively laid-back horses. By the time he landed at Brookside Farm, where he ultimately stayed, he was a year older, more tractable around other horses, and much further along in his training. 
tons of groundwork, had been backed, had solid husbandry skills, etc. At Brookside, he went out 24-7 in a large field with a few mature horses who helped him grow up in equine society. The barn owner, Henry, a farmer with a lifetime of experience with livestock, did all the horse handling himself. Henry wasn't remotely intimidated by Palio and handled him with calm confidence. Palio loved Henry, and Henry grew fond of him in return. Henry even spontaneously started clicking Palio at feeding time for waiting in the corner of his stall for his grain. I was floored the first time I saw it happen. Henry had seen what I taught Palio and just started using it. Still consider it one of the most impressive clicker training adoptions I've ever facilitated. The main point is that finding fertile ground is likely to take some successive approximations. If a particular barn isn't right for you or your horse, or your horse at that stage in their development, don't take it personally. Just keep trying and do the best you can. This is such good advice from Sarah. Prior to moving to my own clicker center barn, I boarded my horses, so I know all too well the challenges that boarding barns can present, especially since I was also raising young horses, and they didn't always fit in to the barns where we were staying, where everyone had mature riding horses, and I had my youngsters. At some point, Dominique and I should compare notes on boarding our horses, what our experiences have been. I suspect it would make a really interesting podcast. But that's for another time. Next week, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk with Sarah about goals and goal setting. So do join us for the rest of what is a truly great conversation. And remember to check out my website, theclickercenter.com, for upcoming clinics. If you are looking for a great way to learn and to connect with other clicker trainers, the clinics are a great resource. So take a look, and in the meantime, have fun with your horses. Music